Philippians chapter 3. We'll continue our series through the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. I want to begin by reading verses 17 through 21. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Last week we considered verse 17 and we saw Paul's confidence in leading others. Paul was so certain that he was on the right track that he could look at somebody else and say, follow me. What a challenge to us. See, we're all heading to the same prize. We should be, and that's the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul basically saying, look, I'm I'm heading that way. If you follow me, you're going to end up there as well. And I think that's a, a great challenge. Paul's life was an example to all of what genuine Christianity was to look like. And since he wasn't there bodily at the time of this writing, he even says, if you see others that walk like I do, mark them and follow them. And so it's okay sometimes to follow people, not blindly, but Paul gave the the qualifier, follow me as I follow Christ. And so when we see somebody following the Lord and they're on the right track, it's okay to follow them insofar as they're following the Lord. It's discipleship. And that's ultimately what we said last week. We've got to be willing to disciple others. And so we're all running a race. We're all pressing toward the mark. And if we see someone running their race well, we need to find out what they know. Are you followable? Can people look at your life and say, that's, that's how I want to run my race? It's been said, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. If you're going to be followable and help others obtain the prize, it's going to take a life of consistency, being faithful to the Lord through many years, that there's a track record. And if you're going to disciple other people, it takes a lot of time and effort to invest in other people. And then it just takes being thick-skinned sometimes because you'll see people drop by the wayside. Those that you've helped and those that you've invested in. And so we we need some followable people, amen? And we need to help those who are not quite as strong in the faith, help them along to become strong in the faith. And they've got to be willing to receive that as well. Now, we need to be followable, followable Christians because there are those out there who are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And they will gladly pick up where we fail. If we have some that fall by the wayside because we refused to invest in their lives, you can rest assured that there's enough enemies out there who will take them and make them their disciples if they can. 
So look at these parenthetical verses again of verses 18 and 19. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. So Paul says that there are many out there who are the enemies of the cross of Christ. To walk means a way of life. It's how we conduct ourselves. And in this context, it it identifies people with Christ. Specifically here, the, the cross of Christ. Many are walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. And And sadly, that is the case, that it's many. And so Paul says, I've told you this often, and I'm I'm telling you this now, even weeping. You see, it ought to break our heart that so many are being led astray. We often call Jeremiah the weeping prophet, but Paul, there's a lot of verses where it talks about him weeping. And he was just like Jeremiah in that respect. He shared the same emotions and heartbreak for those who were astray, those who had rejected, or maybe those who didn't fully embrace all that the cross of Christ represents. And that should be our attitude. We should preach against the enemies. I agree with that. But it should break our hearts in the process that people are not following the Word of God. And we know what the end result of that is. Psalm 119, 136, rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. And and it should move us when people are not keeping the word of God. And man, I could give you example after example tonight of people that are not following the word of God and it's destroying things. It's destroying lives and homes and and causing all kind of difficulties. Jeremiah 9.1 Oh, that my head were waters, and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Of course, Jeremiah was weeping a lot because he had to foretell of the destruction, and he lived to see it. And it broke his heart to see so many of his own countrymen that were being taken captive in his own homeland, being destroyed. And, and to see that moved him to tears. Luke 19, verses 41 and 42. And when he, speaking of Jesus, was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hast known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now are they hid from thine eyes. And it broke his heart. Acts 20, 19, Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. This is speaking of the Apostle Paul. He says, Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Acts 20, 31, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Romans 9, 2, That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. 2 Corinthians 2, 4, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears. Not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. And you know, I think sometimes in our stripe, it'd be a lot better if we would just learn to be sensitive. I think sometimes we're just calloused and hard and we're angry and we're mean-spirited. And I, I read some of this and I wonder what made the Apostle Paul so effective. It could be he had a heart for people. That he really cared. That he, he was genuinely heartbroken 
over especially his own countrymen. He said, I would wish myself accursed if I knew that Israel could be reached. And it broke his heart. And listen, that ought to happen with us. We ought to be concerned about this. We need to have an honest spirit, but we don't need to have a mean spirit about it. And there's a time and a place to be tough where we do withstand somebody to their face. We find that in the Scripture. Uh, There certainly is a place for that. And I I would say so, especially as it comes to the leadership of those that are behind the false doctrine that's being propagated. That's what Jesus did. He railed on the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and um, the elders because they knew better. And so uh, we see that example in Scripture of confronting people very hard when needed. But we should weep for those who are being led astray. And so it broke his heart. And, and, and I think this tenderness that he had is what helped to make him so effective because he realized that the enemy was leading people away from the kingdom of God. And you'll see that a lot in the, in the companion verses of the ones I just read concerning the Apostle Paul. Uh, listen, to reject Christ is to go to a devil's hell. And that ought to move us, that ought to motivate us, that ought to make us weep for those that are refusing to turn and to hear the truth. We find in this verse that the enemies of Christ are nothing new. We sometimes think our generation, you know, every generation's had their hard times. And many generations have had it far worse than we have here in America. And so... They're nothing new. It can be established throughout the Bible. From the beginning, there's been enemies of the cross of Christ. And we see that all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We see it with Cain and Abel, and it just builds and it grows into what we're seeing now. In fact, the Bible says it's going to wax worse and worse. Deceivers are going to keep coming. There's there's going to be more uh, hard times that come our way. And it's just the fact of what the Bible says. And it was true in the first century. It's true now. In fact, we're warned in the New Testament how things will wax worse and worse, perilous times shall come, there will be a great falling away. And I believe we're witnessing that now in America today. Um, To me, it's obvious the fact that we have so-called churches that will endorse abortions, same-sex marriage, all kind of issues that the church is now embracing. That's a falling away. That's an apostasy that's taking place, and it's very serious. And I don't know how any so-called church can do that, but they are. They're turning away from the Word of God. We're seeing it. Ever since uh, colonial days in America, there's been denominational mess. That's always existed all the way back to colonial times. Um, However, in the 1800s, we experienced an, an explosion of false religions in this country. And we saw just in the 1800s alone just the mid-1800s, really, and on, we saw groups like the Mormons, the Seventh-day Adventists, Christian Science, and the Jehovah's Witnesses. They were all founded there in the 1800s. What happened? People left the Word of God. And listen, these are all the enemies of the cross of Christ. They pervert the gospel. They change who Christ is. Listen, this is very serious. They change the very essence of Christ by claiming He's not deity. John made it very clear in First and Second John that this is called the spirit of Antichrist. To reject Christ. That He's come in the flesh. 
is, is Antichrist. He defines this spirit as those who deny Jesus Christ. They deny Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. How do you get away from that? And I've made this observation many times, and I don't ever want to be accused of being harsh. But listen, Paul here, he says, of whom I have told you often. That's the job of a watchman. Is to stand upon the wall, look out over uh, the other wall outside of the city, and warn the city when danger is approaching, when there's false doctrine, when there's false teachers. This is what a shepherd is supposed to do. Guard the sheep from false teachers, from wolves. So I know you've heard it before, but you're going to keep hearing it. Because that's my job. Paul said to the Galatians, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past. Paul told the Thessalonians, as we also have forewarned you, And testified. He didn't shy away from repeating truth. And he didn't want any to come short of the kingdom of God. He didn't want any to go to hell. And I don't either. And for that reason, we'll keep sounding the the warning. Because many are being deceived into believing a lie. Now, in the first century, there were two primary groups that Paul would have been referring to as enemies of the cross of Christ. One was the Judaizers of that day that were coming in and teaching that you had to keep portions of the ceremonial law in order to be really saved. And namely circumcision, that you had to be circumcised to show your salvation. And and Paul already warned earlier in this chapter, up here in in verse 2, he says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision." So watch out for those who are telling you, you need to add to Christ's work on the cross. Watch out for those who are telling you, you have to put works in order to be in a right standing with God. Paul was sounding the warning is what he was doing. And and that's what we're to do. Like I said, we don't have to be ugly out there doing it. But we ought to be telling people that's not what the Bible says. And so Paul, he says, watch out for this. Watch out that people are going to tell you, you got to work. And then that's, that's when he followed it up with, I don't put any confidence in the flesh. Why was he led to write that? Because he was saying, beware of those that are going to come to you and try to tell you, you've got to add this. Beware of those who say you've got to work and that's got to outweigh your bad. Beware of those who come and tell you you're going to have to speak in an unknown tongue to evidence your salvation. Beware of those who try to come and tell you that you've got to be in the church, the Mormon tabernacle, if you're going to make it. Listen, that's what's being taught. And Paul here, he's saying, beware of that because there are many enemies of the cross of Christ out there. So there were those who were adding works to salvation. The other group that was perverting the gospel of Christ very heavily in those days was those who had a hyper-grace mindset. It's okay how we live because Christ died, He fulfilled the law, therefore we're not under the law, we're under grace. We can do whatever we want to do. Does any of these two groups sound familiar to you today? They live like they had a license to sin. There's many labels you can probably put on it, but I would say one of the biblical terms we could use is lasciviousness. It's a license to sin. To do what you want to do because you're under grace. Jude verse 4 says, 
For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Listen to this now. Ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. They took the grace of God and they said, we can do whatever we want because we're under grace. And because Christ fulfilled the law, they felt that the moral law no longer had any bearing in their life. And I've, I've said before, there's, there, in my opinion, there's three aspects to the law. There's the moral law, there's the ceremonial law, and then there's the law that governs uh, us civilly. And the moral law is something that's in existence perpetually. We can't get away from that, and yet there's people that are trying to do that. Christ fulfilled the ceremonial law, amen? And uh, He was the fulfillment of the types, the shadows, the figures that were under the law. But there are so many people in, in, in the first century, and we're definitely seeing it today, that are saying, you can just live any old way you please. It's okay if we bring a rock concert into the church house. And yeah, this is what's taking place. What is it? It's, it's taking the grace of God and turning it into lasciviousness. Galatians 5.13 For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now, the reason why Paul took an issue with these, these groups of people is because what they were doing is they were trying to bypass persecution. You see, when we serve Christ, there's a certain amount of persecution that will come our way. And, and certainly you see that in the Bible in the first century. I mean, heavy stuff that we don't even really understand because we've never dealt with it. And, and these guys, I mean, they were being threatened. Their lives were being threatened. And, and so to get around some of this persecution... If you would adopt circumcision, for example, then you could please the Judaizers and they wouldn't be as persecuting. If you were in the hyper-grace crowd, guess what? You could kind of balance with the world a little bit. They wouldn't be quite as upset with you because you've struck a balance between the two. People have always tried to please religions in the world at the same time. But it can't be done. It can't be done. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. Divisions. The People's New Testament commentary states, Such persons are the worst enemies of Christ. One church member who arouses a scandal can wound the cause of Christ more than a dozen scoffers. You see the attacks within. Those who have the label Christian that caused the problems. The Satanists aren't leading people astray. Nobody in a church should be that stupid. We're not following them. We're not getting tripped up by their statues that they're putting up. And did you see the latest thing that the Satanic Temple said? That it is their religious right to have an abortion. So they're fighting that based off of religious ground, saying it is our right to sacrifice babies. Check it out. I just read it today, I think. And so they're not leading us astray. But listen, it is those who try to take on the identity of Christianity that are leading people astray. All those groups I mentioned earlier that started in the 1800s, they all go by the label Christian to the world's eyes. And many of them call themselves Christians. I've looked it up on their websites. Acts 15.24, For as much as, ye, as we have heard, that certain which went out from us, those who had gone out from the believers have troubled you with words, 
subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Galatians 2.4, And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. 2 Timothy 3, 5 and 6, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses, and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lust. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And I already read Jude 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares. These are people who are working from the inside. These are people who are working underneath the the cloak of Christianity, if you will. They're trying to sneak in. They're trying to lead you away. They want to subvert you. They want to pervert the truth. These are what we call wolves in sheep's clothing. The Bible says, be on guard. Be watching. Now, unfortunately, it is the fear of persecution that has led many astray. Many people have compromised because of the fear of persecution. And I think for us, sometimes it's just peer pressure. We don't even want to deal with that. Well, if you come to my church, I'll come to yours. Listen, that's dangerous. Don't you make a deal with that with somebody in false doctrine? It's not right. Don't go to the LDS and say, I'll come to yours if you come to mine. Don't go to the Charismatics and say, I'll go to yours if you come to mine. Listen, you're opening yourself up. Let that just be a pastorly help to you. It's dangerous doctrinally, and it goes against the Word of God. So what we need to do is just settle the fact that as followers of Christ, those who take up His cross, that, listen, with that comes persecution. Matthew 5, 10 through 12, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. We're appointed unto afflictions. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. Persecution, affliction, tribulation, they're all in store for the child of God. I always love saying stuff like that because I feel like everybody's like, well, great, I'm so glad I became a Christian. (laughs) It's just the way it is. If we will follow Christ up Golgotha's hill bearing His cross... We'll suffer shame and persecution. Paul said in Galatians 6.17, 6, For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. We're promised persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 And all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 
But in the hour of our distress, we can become tempted to find a way around it. And that's where we got to be watchful for compromise, giving, giving up, not wanting to deal with it anymore. I'm tired of all this. And so we just compromise here and there. But never forget, there's a reward day approaching. And who would you rather please? 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For our light affliction, don't you love that? For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. But so many times we let that which we see with our natural eye deter us from what God has called us to do. We see the natural things. We see the persecution, maybe the physical harm or whatever it is we may have to go through. And and we think, I don't want to deal with that. We get our eyes off the eternal. Now, this is all very important because I believe the day's coming in America when we are going to suffer persecution. And I mean real persecution. Not like we're dealing with today. Although it certainly has been ratcheting up in my lifetime. But we have to be prepared. And we better know where we stand and why. In this present hour, as you live for Christ, I I say this delicately because I know for some it can be a big deal, but the worst that you're facing right now is probably being called a name or something. Is that really that hard to endure? People are going to call you judgmental, intolerant, narrow-minded. Is that really that hard of a thing to endure when Christ had to endure the cross? I hope you understand that it is a good God who has made the way so straight that there's no room for error. There's no room for guessing. God is so good in that He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. How much clearer can He be? Listen, that's a good God. Jesus said, enter ye in the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. God has made the way so narrow that there's only one way. The way is so clear that Jesus said it's the straight gate. It's the narrow way. All the other ways are broad, and just like our text verse says here, many, many will go that way. There are many enemies of the cross of Christ. So, God's narrow. Let them call you narrow-minded. I love when people used to call me that in the military. I said, yeah, I'm just like my Heavenly Father. You know what He said? He said, there's one way. Well, you're just intolerant. Yeah, I'm just like my Heavenly Father. There's one way. Well, you're being judgmental. Well, call it what you want. There's one way. We see from Jesus' words that many there be which will follow the broad way. Where did he say the broad way leads? To destruction. Now look at verse 19. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame. Who mind earthly things. This is why Paul told them over and over again. 
I'm telling you this again because there's many that are on the Broadway. I'm telling you this again because there's many who want to subvert your soul and get you on the Broadway. I'm telling you this over and over because their end is destruction and you need to know that. There's not multiple ways, Paul is saying. There's one way. And, and i got to keep telling you this because they're glorying in their shame. They're minding earthly things. This is why he told them this weeping. It's because their end is destruction. This is why we need to have a heart for those who are caught up in false doctrine. We need to try to win them. We should not fear their persecution, but we should fear what their eternal destination may be. Jesus said, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now what we see in in verse 19 is that the enemies of the cross of Christ are identified by how they live. I want you to get this point as I try to tie a ribbon over this. How they lived identified them as enemies of the cross of Christ. And by the way, how we live is what gives us away as Christians. It's not so much what we say, but it's how we live which proves whose doctrine we are really willing to follow in this life. The enemies of the cross of Christ are those who live for themselves. That's what it means, whose God is their belly. They, they satisfy their own fleshly appetites, their own lust, their own desires, their own affections. And then they gloried in that shame and because they were minding earthly things. The wicked sons of Eli are a good example, and that's not the right word because they were a bad example, but they fit this. They, they served in a capacity where one would think they were identified as Christian, where they are, were identified as godly. They were serving as priests, but their God was their belly. Long story short, they were taking the best of the offerings for themselves, and they were lying with the women at the door of the tabernacle. They were the enemies of the cross of Christ. So what was their end supposed to be? Destruction. What happened to them? They were destroyed. That's why we warn people. Isaiah 56, 11 and 12, Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. They are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his gain from his quarter. Come ye, say they, I will fetch wine and we will fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow shall be as this day and much more abundant. We're just going to keep, keep at it. Keep doing what we want to do. Keep living how we want to live. Romans 16, 18, for they, are, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. 2 Timothy 3, 2-5, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So listen, listen to me. Despite what we profess, how we live, is the greatest giveaway. Carnality is always the giveaway. And righteous living is always the giveaway. So could we say that even some in good churches who openly profess Christ as their Savior, 
But because of how they're living, they are like the enemies of the cross of Christ. I think so. You've heard the same testimonies I have. Well, if that's how Christians behave, I don't want anything to do with it. Well, if that's what Christianity does for your marriage, I want nothing to do with it. Acting like the enemies of the cross of Christ. And you know what? People are getting led astray as a result. When people can actually look at a group of Christians and say, that's why I don't want to be a Christian, we are leading people astray. Our actions of minding earthly things speak louder than our lips. We live more like an enemy sometimes than we do an ally. We're to be ambassadors. So how are you living tonight? Are you living for your own appetites? Is there any shame in your sinfulness? Are you minding earthly things? You see, these two verses are parenthetical because they're standing in contrast to verse 17. Paul said, follow me. I am followable. You can trust me. You can trust where I'm heading and where I'm going in Christ. But you better watch out for those who aren't because they're going to lead you astray. So where are you at? How we live will have a great impact on those around us. Now, I always want to be clear. I am not a lifestyle evangelist guy. We have to open our mouth and we have to proclaim the gospel. But I am very firm on the fact that what gives us that credibility is how we live. So how are you living? If we say we are of Christ, then we need to stop living like the world. We need to live, as the Bible says, which is, becometh saints. Paul already said in Philippians 1.27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. In other words, your life ought to be a representation of the gospel that it has had an impact in your life. What does the gospel do? It makes you a new creature. Are we acting like it? The Bible says we should be obedient by word and deed. What does that mean? It means that we speak the truth and we live the truth. Word and deed. Colossians 3.17 And whatsoever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. 1 John 3.18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And James famously put it this way, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. So if you're in Christ tonight, what message is your life sending to others? That you're an enemy or an ally of the cross of Christ. And we must live right because there are many false teachers out there that are seeking to take those who are still weaker in the faith. So may we live as becometh saints. Amen. Pray with me, please.